everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hey Alexa. Today I have Dr. Kevin Payne. He is a doctor, but also an MS um, warrior, and he's going to talk about his story and how he's come to where he is today, and I'm excited to get to know him. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing well, and how are you, Alexa? Good. I'm doing good. Um, so happy to have you join me. Uh, you have quite the story. So I'm excited for my listeners to get to hear it and get to know you. Well, it's it's what life has given me. So I'm, I'm doing the best I can with it. I understand. I have similar, um, I have chronic pain myself from a bad car accident. So I understand. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hence where a lot of this has come from. So. Yeah, I, I, I find that that there's a lot of personal motivation in this area. Chronic illness is not something you think about until you are faced with it. Right. Especially because like you even, you look completely healthy, normal on the outside. Like you're not missing a limb. You're not. So you don't, people don't realize that you're sick or that you have something wrong because they don't understand and they can't see it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, in we internalize our ideas of sick when we're kids. Yeah. And, and the way we think about it is, oh, like a broken arm or a flu. Right. And, and it's that acute medical model. And, and the only problem is everything we know about acute sickness doesn't apply to living with a condition that may never go away. Yeah. And the thing, too, is people like on the commercials when they talk about like fibromyalgia or ms or they show older people but they don't realize that young people can get it too so you have doctors or people telling you you can't have that that's for old people but it's not yeah exactly exactly yeah i was i was symptomatic with ms shortly after i turned 20 but like many I was uh, undiagnosed and misdiagnosed for years before they finally figured it out. Yeah, because you were too young. Like they don't see it in that way. And there's so many different avenues that you have to go through to get a diagnosis. Yeah. And in my case, like, like many, they had actually ruled MS out before they went, oops, sorry, we were wrong. It's really? MS. Yeah. Well, you have to remember, this was back in, so I lived with kind of an, a, a mystery illness off and on for a long time. And and first they said, oh, you're just depressed. Yeah. Well, okay, there's, <laughs> there's no just to being depressed, but right. there were also other things going on as well. And, uh, you know, what did I know? I was a young kid at the time. Uh, I was a young man and I was like, oh, okay, that's what they say. So I just deal with that. And, yep. and, and they said I had treatment resistant depression. So finally, then uh, my symptoms started changing. And in 2002, I started basically limbs started disappearing. So I woke up one morning and I couldn't feel my left leg below my knee. And then it was like that for a while and then it was back and then it was gone again and then it was back and then it was gone again. Then it was another limb. And one morning, then I finally woke up and I could feel my right arm and my head, but the rest of my body was gone. No feeling. And at that point, my then wife said, 
you're going to get this looked at. And so I did and led to a comedy of medical errors. But remember, this is the early 2000s and MRIs didn't have the kind of resolution that they have now. So they, they put me in an MRI and they said, okay, it's not MS. So uh, we're going to send you to another MRI that has just been built in the area and it's got a better resolution. And if there's anything wrong, my neurologist said, my office will call you and, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Otherwise come back in three months and we'll catch up and we'll see yeah. if there's anything new. So I did the new MRI. I didn't hear from them. So I thought, okay, you know, and I almost canceled the appointment several times, but because like, what are they going to tell me? But I, I ended up going. And, and so I walk in that day and I'm sitting there and my neurologist comes in, he says, hi, how are you doing? And, and he starts flipping through my file, which tells you how long ago this was, because it yeah. wasn't an EMR, right? So he had this big thick paper file and he goes a few pages and he stops and he does a wild eyed double take at my file. You never want your neurologist to do yeah, a wild eyed no. double take at your <laughs> file. And then he looked up at me and he said, oh my goodness, I've got to go check on a few things. I'll be right back. And he whisked out of the room. So I'm just sitting there. And it was like the longest five minutes of my life to that yeah. point. And, and a few minutes later, he came back in and he looked sort of dejected and he slumped back across from me and he began, I'm so sorry. Ooh, okay. You don't want to hear that That's either. another thing. Yeah, <laughs> your neurologist, you never want to hear from your neurologist. He said, yeah, after uh, my office should have contacted you with the new data from the new MRI, there's no doubt that it's MS and it's been in your system for a long time. So, and it's that not was like a shock. It is, and it's not like it is today where you would see your chart online where you can get your own test results. So you wouldn't mm-hmm. even, so back then you couldn't do that either. No, literally, he sent me home from that meeting with a big, thick file of giant MRI slice <laughs> negatives so that I could share them with other physicians if I wanted to. I still have them. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so crazy. It's so crazy, like, the jump from how it's gone from back then till it is now, like, even in the last yeah. 10 years, like, it's been a huge difference. Truly. And, and, you know, that far back, they didn't even understand quite what was causing MS at the time. They didn't know that it was an autoimmune condition at the time. So we we have come a long way in our understanding. So from when that point on, when you found out that it was MS, what was your next steps? Like, did you feel at least somewhat relieved that you had something to go by most or? definitely yeah most definitely i mean yeah. I, i'm a scientist so yeah <laughs> more, more information more data are better yeah and uh, and then i had a name that i could put to all the weirdness and and i could look at the medical signs and symptoms from the diagnostic criteria and and i could say oh okay this is what i'm dealing with and yeah. like for me you know my baseline symptoms are I'm always medically fatigued. I'm always in pain. I'm always cognitively foggy. Yeah. And, and those are just like table stakes for starting the day. Right. Then I have 30 other symptoms or so that come and go to various degrees. So as you say, most of the time I look healthy and, yeah. and I can 
quote unquote pass as healthy. Right. Usually until I get toward the end of the day. And then as I get more and more tired, balance issues and vertigo will start happening. And uh, I have a difficult time getting around. I will get more numbness. I will, I'll have more spasticity toward the end of the day. So, you know, I, I get more impaired as I go along. Yeah. Okay. So then like by later you would, you can kind of see that there's something going on. Yeah. I, I, I purposefully don't have the kind of nightlife that I used to have. Yeah. That's a good thing though. You know, at least you're taking care of yourself, I should say. Yeah. I, I, you know, sleep is, is one of those things that we tend to dismiss, but I, I am an enthusiastic fan of good sleep, especially because when I get a good night's sleep, the best I'm going to be doing the next day is medically tired. Right. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be fully awake. I haven't been fully awake in the 20th since 21st century. You know, (laughs) it just, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So my goal is to be only fatigued and not exhausted by the end of the day, because those are medically very different categories. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, One thing that was in your bio, though, that you Mm -hmm. have been able to do, and I'd love to hear about how this came to be, is you skydived. I am an enthusiastic skydiver. I've logged 600 jumps now, got all the licenses, got my coach rating, uh, and, and, you know, and uh, so rewind a little bit as a little kid i was fascinated with the idea of skydiving and i wanted to be a skydiver so i'd make my own parachutes and i'd climb as high as i thought i could survive jumping and i'd give it a shot and i bent myself up pretty good but didn't generally break myself too badly yeah so flash forward then from the 70s to the 90s and now i'm a young man and i'm working on my doctorate and I say, you know, I've waited long enough. I'm going to do the training and become a skydiver. So I, I found a drop zone, you know, a club drop zone that was a couple hours away and went. And, and back then, tandem skydiving wasn't yet a common thing. So with a tandem skydive, you know, you, do your, your, you, get, you get strapped on to an expert who actually knows and you ride as a passenger. Uh, and you, people usually do that now as their first skydive or maybe yeah. the first couple. But tandem skydiving had been invented in the 80s and it wasn't common until the 2000s. So back in the 90s, I started the way everybody else started back then. You did all the training. You strapped on a parachute. You hurt <laughs> your butt out of the plane and you landed yourself. And And that was how I started. So... I I got a handful of jumps in, and then I quickly realized that becoming a skydiver is not a hobby. It's a lifestyle choice. It's not just throwing your body out of a plane. There's a lot to it. Uh, For your A license, your first license, there's like almost 150 skills you've got to check off to to get that first license. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize. I thought you could just do it if you wanted to and call it a day. I didn't know. No, 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 no. I mean, it takes a lot of effort, a lot yeah. of training, thousands of dollars 
to get your first license. Yeah. And there are four licenses. They go up to, you know, at 500, you get your, your fourth license and, and that's your D license. And so I went through all that. I got my uh, coach rating so I can help teach people as well. <laughs> but, you know, I, a lot of life got in the way. So I, I uh, career and family and yeah. kids and then MS and, you know, there was a point where I gave up on ever going back to this childhood dream. I, oh, one so day, you started before you started before yeah, you before knew I, about knew MS. I had MS. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, so I had, you know, I had 13 jumps when I came back in 2019. Okay. Uh, and, and, but I had a 20 year gap. In yeah. There. So I, uh, I, I had really hit bottom. My life had completely come apart. I'd had some exacerbations where I was primarily dealing with cognitive symptoms. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that, that people really don't understand about MS. People tend to think, oh, isn't that one that puts you in a wheelchair? Well, yeah, I can, but most Depend- of us don't yeah. end up there uh, anymore. And, and there, you know, anything, because it's attacking our central nervous system, anything we think, feel, do, you know, right. it's fair game for the, yeah. for the symptoms. So I was dealing with this. And at the time I had, you know, I'd been a professor for 15 years. I'd spent a decade supporting a wife who with an advanced cancer and my life had completely come apart. So yeah. I'd, I'd left the Academy, been a startup tech entrepreneur and, and then suddenly boom, my brain goes. So my whole life blew up. My, yeah. my wife and kids decided that this was more than they needed to deal with, and they left. And so I'm on my own, and my my career is just just you know completely blown yeah. up. And I don't see a way forward. I I literally cannot see a path from where I was then to any kind of life that I was interested in living. Right. So I'd given up. And, and one day then my, my son, who was a teenager at the time said, you know, dad, you really suck at doing things for yourself. And that was kind of soul crushing to hear. Uh, Although I knew he was correct because I had spent so many years just trying to shepherd everybody through, you know, being a one income family of four and and trying to shield them from what was going on with their mother and all of that stuff and and putting myself on the back burner and and not doing all the things that my professional training tells me (laughs) i should be doing right Right. (laughs) so exactly so uh you know i was in really bad shape and and i decided that i was going to give myself literally one last shot and and i was going to reclaim something that I had treasured in my life that I had given up on. So I said in 2019, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get a license and I'm going to become a skydiver. So normally it takes 25 jumps to get your license, your A license. It took me 47 because I had some massive issues figuring out how to control my legs in free fall. 
Yeah. <laughs> but but I kept at it. The you know my Sky family, which is what skydivers call one another, at the drop zone really rallied behind me. Everyone worked to help me. I did a lot of extra time in the vertical wind tunnels to try to figure out what was going on with my legs. Yeah. And I got the A license. I logged about 140 jumps in 2019. So I got my A and my B license and did that. So in 2020, I said, I'm going to set myself a really serious goal. I'm going to complete everything. I'm going to cross 500 jumps. And what that meant was I, I committed to logging at least one jump a day, every day for the entire year. Okay. So I logged 370 jumps in 2020. Even with COVID? Even with COVID. Even with COVID. That's yeah. incredible. Everybody else was huddled up and I was screaming through the sky. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, terminal velocity is faster than a virus. So... And you're on your so own anyway. basically anyway. So yeah, exactly. So so I did. I managed to do that. And and but the important thing here is that it wasn't just about reclaiming a childhood dream. For me, my biggest fear was that I had become afraid of my own body. Yeah. Because my body had betrayed me so many times. Yeah. So I decided I would rebuild my confidence from the ground up by putting myself in a position where every day I had to either save myself literally or die. Yeah. And, and, and that is, you know, kind of, kind of nuts on the outside of it, but I'm a little dense and I needed I needed serious confidence because I needed the confidence to finish the book, to build the company, to build the technology and, you know, all that stuff. And those were big goals. Yeah. I needed to build something meaningful with all of my expertise and with all of the experience that I had gathered, both diagnosed and as a caregiver. So if you, yeah. if you look at the image that's on the cover of this book, it took us eight jumps over six weeks to get that exact image because that's exactly what I wanted on the cover of this book. People yeah. say, don't judge a book by its cover. No, this is the story of the book. Yeah. And, and the reason why is I'm at 5,000 feet headed to the earth at 120 miles an hour when this picture is taken. That means I have... 27 seconds left to live unless I do something. I mean, let that sink in. So yeah. what I'm doing here is I've got my hands up to my forehead and I'm about to sweep them out in a broad gesture. And for skydivers, that's called the wave off. And what it is, is I am announcing to everyone in my airspace that I am about to take action to save myself and deploy my parachute. And so when people pick up this book, I want them to understand that they may feel like their lives is in free fall. They may feel like they are subject to forces so much bigger than them. Yeah. But when they pick this up, they are actively choosing life. They're actively choosing to save themselves. Yeah. So 
you know, that is a book that can be judged by its cover. Yeah. And it should be. I like it. <laughs> when did you write it? And how long was your process? You know, I, well, I've spent, I, I started doing the research about a decade ago or so. I started actually writing the book uh, about six years ago. And I wrote it once and I was going to release it. And it was too dry and too sciencey. Mm-hmm. And all of my readers said, yeah, the, the science is great, but we need your story in right. here. And, and I knew that, but, but I was still protecting myself because I was not yet the man who could share the depths of how awful it got. Yeah. So coming back to skydiving was my way of developing the confidence so that I could go there and rewrite it and and give my story a triumphal conclusion and it's not that i don't still have all these challenges every day yeah but you know i managed to do this thing that i had given up on that's kind of you know an, an unusual thing and right. and even by skydiver standards getting a jump you know better than a jump a day for a year is that's ex- that's pretty exceptional that's, right. that, that's that, a yeah. really good rate <laughs> of, of, of doing it. So it took, you know, a while. There's a, there's a long story behind the book, but now the book, as I rewrote it, it's about one third my story, two thirds science. And so the yeah. little vignettes from my life through there, because I, I never, ever, ever wanted people to take this as science guy talking at you or talking right. down to you. I wanted people to understand, no, I've lived this and chronic illness has completely pulled my life apart. And I've got a great life now, not without problems. It's, but it's certainly not the life that I ever intended or planned for myself. Right. I I had to completely, uh, you know, refigure everything from the ground up and chronic illness will do that to you. Yeah. Oh, I understand. (laughs) But you just have such an incredible story. Like the fact that you could, that you set your goal and you did it. You didn't let your MS get you down. You, it might have, it could have, there could have been days, but you still did it. You did your 307, was it 70 or 70? Yeah, 370. and Which is obviously more than, yeah, that's more than a jump a day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you yeah. didn't let that get you down. And I think that's so incredible. And one of my sayings is that we are all forever strong. And I say it because sometimes we don't feel strong. We feel like at our weakest point that we don't know where to go. But if you dig deep down, there's strength there. We do. We feel, we feel we feel weak. We feel lost. Yeah. And And that is completely normal. The thing that we have to remember when we feel that way is that we need to be kinder to ourselves. Yes. We need to show ourselves grace. And and we need to understand that, okay, today isn't the best day, but we're going to get something out of it. Yep. And we're going to rest and recover and relax and consolidate and sleep and do all those good things. And we're going to go at it again the next day. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. So this is the last part of the show where I I play a game. It's like a quick, I ask you a couple questions and you just think of the first answer you can come up with. And then I will, and I'll let you um, promote yourself everywhere after that. That's where everyone can find you. Oh, sure. Okay. All right. So So first question, favorite drink. Favorite drink? Uh, Coffee, probably, but I I blend myself. Oh, that's cool. I'm I'm a serious coffee hound, and that's cool. I, I, I I use four or five different kinds of beans, and and two of them are espresso beans. So Whoa. I make <laughs> nuclear fuel coffee. Oh my gosh! Oh, that's crazy. Um, favorite TV show? Ooh, there's some good ones. You know, we're we're probably living in a new golden age of television, and it's largely because of streaming. Yeah. So, wow. What have I enjoyed recently? Um, I don't know. I am, I am just like a swirl with, with all of it. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the, uh, I've really enjoyed the, the, new marvel tv shows that are you know expanding on some of the characters i i think i think uh, you know comic books are fascinating they're fascinating cultural trope because really what they've created is the mythology of the modern era right see i love like riverdale so that's archie comics oh yes 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 (laughs) well i I, you know I, i watched a few episodes of that and i was like Wow, this is so not the Archie comics. Right, I grew it's so up different. Yeah, fifty years ago. <laughs> um, what is a piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Let go of your expectations. That's a good one. That's actually really good. Um, describe yourself in five words. Doesn't have to be five, but. <laughs> doing the best he can. I like it. And the last one, what does success mean for you? Ooh, this is a good one because this is chapter 13 in my book. And really? Yeah. And, and, and what, what I think what's really important is people tend to define success as these external indicators. Yeah. And, and when, if you ask elderly people looking back on their lives, what, made them feel like they either lived well or not. Yeah. What they will tell you is experiences. And so what that means is we need to regularly collect experiences that make us feel in a particular way. And that is happy, satisfied, functional, engaged, meaningful, and secure. Yeah. And we don't need all of them all the time but we need to revisit those regularly. And so success is collecting those experiences that make us feel in those ways. And we even know what kinds of activities do that. Building connections with other people and and with animals, uh, connections with nature, 
experiences that allow us to feel accomplished and to grow. Yeah. I mean, those, those are what we need to do. So I think it's successful when I do some of those kinds of things every day. I like it. Um, and now here's the time that you can share whatever you want and I'll put links of everything in the description for people to come like see your book or whatever. Sure. I, you know, I'm not going to beat everybody over the head with it. I've tried to make it really easy. If you go to yourlifelivedwell.co, then there's links for the book, links for my podcast, links for seminars and webinars that I offer, my social connections, all of that stuff. So go to yourlifelivedwell.co, sign up for the list if you want, and you get discounts and uh, other stuff. And it's all fun because everything I do is about trying to help those diagnosed loved ones and caregivers and medical health, therapeutic, yeah. wellness, fitness professionals live better with chronic illness. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I so appreciate it. And I loved hearing your story. And I hope my listeners did too. This was another episode of Hey Alexa. I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.